the VO Meter, measuring your voiceover progress. Whether you're a veteran voice actor, just starting out, or don't even know how to set a level, we're here to help you avoid the pitfalls along your voiceover path to success. The VO Meter is brought to you by Voice Actor Websites, Vocal Booth To Go, Global Voice Acting Academy, JMC Demos, and Sennheiser. Meter is produced in part using Source Connect, made by source-elements.com. And now, your hosts, Paul Stefano and Sean Daly. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 61 of the VO Meter. Measuring your voiceover progress. Now, 61 is a special number for baseball fans because it was the initial home run record before the steroid era went crazy and People like Barry Bonds and Sammy Sosa just smashed it with over 70. But 61 is always a, a number near and dear to my heart because that's the real record in my mind that Roger Maris held for so many years after breaking Babe Ruth. So anyway, we have a cool guest coming up. Sean, tell us about the interview you did. Yeah, so our guest today is actor and voice actor Keston John. I actually found out about him. Uh, he's the voice of Hordak on the new She-Ra Princess, or Princesses of Power series that started about two years ago. And I was so impressed with his, um, with his performance, I knew he had to be on the podcast. So he was actually posting a gear-related question in a Facebook group, and I kind of leapt on the opportunity to invite him on the podcast. So and he said yes. And he was a real cool guy, just like so down-to-earth. And I think you'll be happy to hear that he uh, he's kind of like preaching to the choir as far as a lot of the things we talk about on the podcast. But you'll find out about that soon enough. So it's a great interview, and I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Very cool. But before we get to that, we have our... VoiceOver Extra brings you the VO Meter Reference Levels. Uh, seriously, guys, that's the best you could come up with? Hey, it's your show. So, Sean, what's happening in your VO world? Well, as I mentioned before, I got a cartoon casting, which I was really happy about. And we actually did our table read for that last week. But at the table read, I found out that we are actually going to be doing sort of, or the animation's already done. So we're going to be syncing to picture, very similar to how cartoons are done in, in Japan and China and Asia, uh, where the animation is done first, and you're basically dubbing into your own language. So um, I won't talk about it now, but let's just say that that particular configuration resulted in some um, impulse QGPs, or questionable gear purchases. But we'll talk about that in a second. Other than that, I got cast in a gaming app, which was fun. So I got to play a very handsome guy who's in better shape than I would probably ever be in the rest <laughs> of my life. Um, but anyways, it was just an interactive narrative uh, mobile game, and I was really happy about that. And of course, I can't give any more details about it. But ooh, um, so secretive. Ooh, yeah, I know, right? Mr. Big Shot NBA. I know, I know. Who knew? <laughs> But it was cool. I mean, the, the team was great. They were very uh, collaborative and communicative throughout the whole process. And uh, we should be wrapping up recording in the next day or two. And hopefully they like what I said. Very cool. But what about you? I have a couple things going on. I have several audiobook things have popped up on the horizon, whereas I was waiting for a long time for most of them. So two of the books I did on ACX finally went to completion today, which means... Hopefully, well, it's called headed to retail is the official status right now on ACX. It, in the past, that has meant about 10 days in between when 
the book is finalized for production and then sent to the distribution channels. Hopefully that's less because my last one went from headed to retail to on sale in like a day and a half. And I'm hoping they're making up for lost time because both of these books have been waiting for over 30 days since I completed them and submitted all the final audio. So there's still a big backlog in ACX and that's been a bit of a bit of a pain in the you know what, but now there's some progress on that. And then the other book I was working on, I think I mentioned last episode, was about the um, about President Trump called Trump Tribalism and the God Module, talking about how society's Ooh. genetic roots in tribalism have influenced the current political climate in America. That, because of the weight on ACX and the, the election coming up, we actually, the author and I, agreed to take it off of ACX and took it to an upstart company called Audiobooks Unleashed, run by a talent and, I think she's a talent, talent and production manager named Sarah Sampino. So if you've heard of that, uh, they launched a couple of months ago. This is the first title I've done with them, but we took the book there and they've told us they can get it out to not not Audible yet, but all the other distribution channels for wide distribution like Hoopla and uh, Scribed and Downpour. They can get out to those in the next week and maybe week and a half. So we took the book there and the author is really happy about that because it will be out in at least some places in time for the election. So I'm thinking that'll be in the next day or two. So whenever you're listening to this, it should be out. So go check it out. And then finally, I have, well, for the, from the audiobook front, I did a children's book a couple of weeks ago called Ollie's Underwater Sea Adventure. And that's been published. Cool. Is on Ollie this... an otter of some kind? Ollie's an <laughs> octopus. Ollie the octopus. Ah, even better. Yeah. <laughs> that's so that's cool. been out for a couple of weeks on those same wide distribution channels. And then they just contacted me today to do the sequel. Actually, it's a prequel. Book two came out first, and now I'm doing book one. So it looks like they want me for the whole series, which is always nice. And uh, I'm doing that probably starting tomorrow. Congratulations. And then, thank That's you. Great. And then finally, I had one yeah. interesting job this week that is similar to what you were doing. I was doing some dubbing at a studio in New York City. So uh, a little loath to admit, but you know, we're all about transparency here, measuring our voiceover progress. This is my first in-studio booking ever. I've done, I've done everything else my oh, entire wow. career at home. Except for except for my demo, my first commercial demo I did in a studio. But since then, I've never done a directed session in person. Lots in the in the booth here, but first one in person. So that was a new experience for me. And then I've done a couple myself. Um, isn't it nice though? I mean, like all the engineering stuff that you're used to doing, you don't have to worry about. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to say though, there was that. I was trying to walk the fine line between not being a pain in the butt and then also trying to trying to offer some suggestions on things I know are happening in the background because yeah. I didn't want to be a pain of the talent that, that tries to tell the engineer what to do. But by the same token, a couple times they were playing back the takes and he was, I could see he was using pro tools cause there was a window there and I was hearing every take in my ears as he was playing it back. So I just politely said, Hey, by the way, is there a way you could take the other takes out of the mix and just play the recent one? And he said, Oh yeah, my bad. Sorry. I didn't realize I was doing that. So he was totally cool about it and I think kind of appreciated me pointing it out rather than trying to struggle through it and not being able to hear anything. But oh, yeah, you weren't being a, a diva or dilettante or whatever. So you're just like, it's all right to ask for help <laughs> or those little suggestions, right? Yeah, exactly. So, but as far as like COVID, it was in Manhattan and that was a little scary for, for me because I have been pretty careful with, with not going out that much and staying out of public places. So I was right in the middle of Midtown. But, uh, the studio was safe. They cleaned everything. I was able to use my own headphones. I never was in the same room with the engineer and the, and the director, so it was really, really easy to do. 
But the cool part was that it was dubbing, which I had also never done in a studio. And that was a whole new experience for me. And it's probably similar to what you were trying to do at home, where there was a script and, and a time code, and the, the script had sort of a running... Uh, it was running underneath the picture, and there was a, a bar that went along with the words, almost like karaoke. In fact, that's exactly how the director described it. Think of it as karaoke. And that was interesting to try and read the picture like that because I had never done that before. But it was a lot of fun, good experience overall. Do you, did they say what program they were using for that? They did not. And uh, Ah, too bad. I'm not <laughs> sure I could talk about I it, just... even if I did. Speaking of being a diva. Well, that's true. <laughs> there's also an NDA <laughs> there, be, so I can't say be, too uh... much could be a trade secret but just reminds me of like back when guitar hero and rock band were all the rage <laughs> um but but that's yeah, i still play cool. those with my kids we love we love the um guitar hero world tour it'd be nice if it was more accurate like as far as learning an instrument goes but that would yeah. have been far more expensive and technical to make yeah so uh, if you're well, that... if you're out there and wondering whether you should go back to studios i would say in the right circumstances it's probably okay i know at the uh at the evocation conference Tim Friedlander talked about the precautions he was taking at his studio, and I think it can be done as long as the person you're working with is being safe. So there was wipes there. Again, I, I was never in the same room with anybody else. Used my own headphones. Seemed perfectly safe. Yeah, I find that those broadcast quality studios are taking this very seriously and will do whatever it can to make the talent feel comfortable about going in. That being said, though, I mean, you know yourself better than anyone. So if you are not comfortable going into a studio, you shouldn't. And if that's the case, just make sure that you have the equipment you need to still get the job done from home. Yeah, I will say, though, if you're if you're going to a big city like New York or L.A., um, it's a great time because normally that's a bit of a nightmare trip for me for, for anyone really to drive through New York City. But on on this week, I, I drove in at noon right through the middle of Midtown. It was just me and a bus in the Lincoln Tunnel. No other cars in sight, That's which was nuts. really scary. <laughs> and I was able to, to drive right down uh, Park Avenue and 42nd Street with no traffic whatsoever. When I was leaving, it was 4.15. And I actually took a picture at my dash at a red light at the corner of Times Square. There was four people walking across the street. That was it. That's insane. So um, it's a great time to go into a big city without having to worry about traffic. Right, right. <laughs> Take advantage of that tourism while you can. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, so th- that last bit about dubbing and con- um, studio configurations actually segues nicely into our... Questionable Gear Purchase. So yeah, like I said, Paul and I were talking about dubbing this week. And so for those of you who might not know, dubbing or lip sync or automated dialogue replacement are all different words for the same thing that we use when we're basically syncing audio to picture. So very often this happens when you are translating into a different language, like for example, Japanese anime into English. And like we said before, actually in Japan, they do it the same way in their own language. They animate first and then they match the performances to the animation. So I've done a couple of sessions like this, but mainly in a workshop educational context. Like I did, I know there was a workshop about it at VO Atlanta. And then there was um, Adventures in Voice Acting, who's got great instructors like Tony Oliver and David Sobolov. They also do workshops that involve some syncing to picture like that. And it's a pretty sophisticated setup. Um, Usually they'll have a multi-track editor open like Pro Tools, and it's got 
the various audio tracks. It's got the music. It's got the Japanese or the original language performance where they're going to record your performance. Um, it's got like a little meter track to kind of cue you in about when you're supposed to go. Like so, for example, you'll you'll record line by line, and they'll play back the original performance if there was one, so you could get a sense of the timing and the pacing and the tone, and then. They will give you a little or three beeps in your headphones before the line goes again. It's almost like、uh, starting a musical piece. So you'll hear boop, boop, boop in your headphones, and where that fourth beep would be is where you jump into the line. And so basically, what you're doing is one eye is looking down at the script in front of you. Your left eye is looking at the monitor to make sure you're matching the time, and somehow you manage to. Emote and act like, while your attention is divided thusly, and then you just record line by line by line. So, so it's really hard to do、uh, at home, right? So this is this is the challenge、exactly. you're going to talk about. When I just did this in the studio,、mm-hmm. I had a 42-inch monitor right in front of my face, and I could see everything perfectly. I didn't have to worry about any of the controls myself because I had a professional engineer doing it for me. Yeah, very often you'll be.、Uh, usually, it takes at least three people to do this kind of setup, where you've got the director, you've got the engineer, and you've got the talent. But as you can imagine, like doing all this stuff from home requires a lot of stuff. Some talent can get away without having like a mirrored setup in their booth. Like, for example, not having a secondary monitor that's mirroring their computer for whatever for spatial constraints or whatever. You can't do that. Without video or with video dubbing, obviously, because you need to see the picture.、Mm-hmm. So,、uh, and obviously, you need to have a strong enough internet to stream video and audio between you and the client. So, you guys know I'm a big fan of kind of MacGyver Studio solutions, and for the last couple of years, I've actually been using my iPad to mirror my laptop screen using a cool little dongle called the Luna Display. Now, that's a wireless solution that. Mirrors over Wi-Fi, and unfortunately, I've done some Zoom sessions and directed sessions where that crashed. It because it was just too much to to send over the connection. So I was just like, "All right." I finally bit the bullet and got a little monitor that I could bring in here, and it was excellent timing. You ever find that like when you just randomly like, "Oh, I need insert item here," and then you search for it, you automatically find the best price. <laughs> Not usually, no. It、um, takes me years and years. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it's a combination, right? It feels like it happens every time, but really, you spent the rest of the year looking for something like this. Yeah. But anyways, I got like a ch- little twenty-inch monitor for like fifty bucks. It was really, <laughs> it was perfect for an impulse buy because I was like,、eh, I don't feel that guilty about it, and I'm sure I can find a use for it somewhere. I was curious about this. Are you mounting it or hanging it from the the poles in your booth? How you how you getting it in the booth? The、uh, well, that's yeah the. So probably for this first session, I'm just going to use the included mount. It's going to be cramped, but、um, eventually I'm probably going to move to a suspended solution because right now that's what I do. I hang my iPad and all my mics from the、uh, the ceiling beams of my PVC frame, right? And I've been using the Stage Ninjas for that, and they're great. But I'm worried that something like a monitor will not be、uh, could has the danger of falling down. It's not as Like it's not as much of a sealed grip as it could be.、Mm-hmm. You know, it's a strong grip, but it's just it's just a pressure grip. It's not like actually holding on to it. But I was actually looking on Sweetwater yesterday, and there's a great company called Triad that makes various configurations of、um, 
or like various mounts, boom arms, different interconnecting pieces. And you know how I love modular setups. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so basically that looked a little bit more tailor-made for what I wanted. It looked a lot stronger. And they actually have a VESA mount that you can attach to a mic stand. Like oh, um, cool. the, yeah, I thought it was really cool. So so basically, like if I get the vase mount and one of their um, their C clamp that actually grips completely around whatever tube or piping you put it on, then I think I could eventually get it to be a suspended solution. And then I have like two screens because I have. Um, oh yeah, I didn't even talk about my second questionable gear purchase. Um, so thanks to the uh, the Wunderkins at Apple. Uh, my iPad is going to be a brick in a few short months because of the operating system is no longer being updated. And so I kind of waffled on it a bit, but I finally decided to get the new iPad Air, and I should get it in a day or two, and I'm really looking forward to playing with it. Um, the reviews for it have already been really positive, and I'm stoked. <laughs> it looks like a little, uh, a very powerful little portable computer. That's awesome. I've been thinking about uh, the, the mounting solutions as well because I should tell everybody I'm going out to Volca Booth to go again tomorrow to their to their headquarters and warehouse oh, cool. to look at some of their new products and thinking about maybe moving to one of their SPB booths, the soundproofer booths. Oh, with the, the soundproofer booths. Yeah, yeah, with the mass-loaded vinyl. So they have some new models that are just coming in from, from overseas after being manufactured, and they have a double-walled version of it now. So Jeff out there and I are going to meet and I'm going to do some sound tests inside the double-walled version and see how it compares to what I currently have and see if I might want to move to that. So I've been thinking about mounting solutions for the future for monitors too. Another company you might want to look at is called Arkon, A-R-K-O-N. I use them for all the, the mounts I currently have for tablet stands. So I have the same one actually mm. that I use for mounting a tablet in front of me when I'm sitting, like right now. And then I have another one that's on the back wall for when I'm standing for commercials and video games. And it has exactly what you're describing. It actually has a visa mount that I just put right into the wall of the whisper room. But you could put on the back of a monitor, too. And then it has a three-piece articulating arm that you can move in basically any direction. Oh, Each cool. piece can go in any direction. So that, that could work for you as well. Yeah, so you said that's A-R-K-O-N? Mm -hmm. A-R-K-O-N. They do a lot of cell phone Very holders cool. and tablet holders. And... Yeah, there's definitely a Good lot stuff. of resources available for that kind of thing. You just have to do your due diligence in cuz I mean they're in varying levels of quality. Like I'd say if you're spending probably like $40 and up on it, then you're going to be fine as far as quality of materials and stuff like that. Yeah, I've loved these Archon ones that they can hold probably the um feet for the mo the bottom part of the monitor stand can go out about 9 inches at max. So it can hold probably a 15-inch tablet at the at the biggest definitely an ipad pro i currently use a windows tablet that's 11.5 inches or 11.6 so that fits perfectly too. oh wow that's cool um and one thing about tablet mounts that i will suggest too is because until i got this new one i was like first off my favorite tablet mount company is probably k&m or koenig and meyer i love the germans <laughs> and um they make a variety of different uh mounts but it, i would suggest if you're getting your first one get a universal one because then you're not, um, some of them are kind of molded to only work with a couple of different tablet models. So if you want the most versatility and you have a variety of devices you might want to use, like for example, a, an iPad mini and an iPad Pro or whatever, or various um, Windows or Samsung tablets, go for a universal one. 
Uh, so then you just don't have to worry about, oh, does it fit or not? Uh, so, because um, now I have to try and sell a thing and be like, all right, it only works, or because I have to sell my current mount, and I'm like, sorry guys, it only works with the original iPad Air or the iPad 5th or 6th generation. If you yeah, don't own one specific. of those three devices. Yeah, exactly. So that's my, th- those are my QGPs. Uh, what, anything else for you? Uh, I bought a new coffee maker, which is not directly directly related, <laughs> but... I, gotta, I don't know. I'd say coffee is pretty essential for any um, self-employed yeah. business. So I've, I've always been a fan of Nespresso, and my, my Keurig died, so I bought a Nespresso maker that does one cup at a time. Uh, you can do espresso or Americano or cafe lattes, and it's one of those cool ones that has a milk frother built in, so you just press a button, and it pours the milk, and then the coffee, and makes you an entire cappuccino or latte all by itself. It's almost like a robot. That sounds awesome. But unfortunately, nothing oh, VO related. <laughs> for once. Oh, I, I did want to add, too, for the iPad Air, I did do a bit of a luxury upgrade and got the Magic Keyboard case. So now it's essentially like a little 12-inch laptop. And um, the main reason I got that is because it's like, since I planned on using this in my booth and kind of taking it in and out of its case, I wanted something that would not be a hassle. Like, it, the case is attached with magnets, so it's literally just like pop on and off. So I'm excited. Yeah, I love that thing. Um, I did have an iPad Pro for a while with that case. Oh, yeah? Of course, I no longer have it. But yeah, it, I do like the case attached. <laughs> I got to say, I love how easily you can let things go, Paul. <laughs> let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Me, I'm like, I invested so much. And you're like, I want to invest again in the revolving door that is my studio. <laughs> yeah. So that's all we have for our reference levels and our questionable gear purchases. So, you guys have waited in the wings long enough. Let's jump to our interview with Keston John. As a voice talent, you have to have a website. But what a hassle getting someone to do it for you. And when they finally do, they break or don't look right on mobile devices. They're not built for marketing and SEO. They're expensive. You have limited or no control. And it takes forever to get one built and go live. So what's the best way to get you online in no time? Go to voiceactorwebsites.com. Like our name implies, voiceactorwebsites.com just does websites for voice actors. We believe in creating fast, mobile-friendly, responsive, highly functional designs that are easy to read and easy to use. You have full control. No need to hire someone every time you want to make a change. And our upfront pricing means you know exactly what your costs are ahead of time. You can get your voiceover website going for as little as $700. So if you want your voice actor website without the hassle of complexity and dealing with too many options, go to voiceactorwebsites.com, where your VO website shouldn't be a pain in the you-know-what. How many times has this happened to you? You're listening to the radio when this commercial comes on, not unlike this one, and this guy starts talking, not unlike myself. Or maybe it's a woman that starts talking, not unlike myself, and you think to yourself, geez, I could do that. Well, mister, well, missy, you just got one step closer to realizing your dream as a voiceover artist, because now there's Global Voice Acting Academy. All the tools and straight-from-the-hip, honest information you need to get on a fast track to doing this commercial yourself. Well, not this one exactly. Classes, private coaching, webinars, home studio setup, marketing and branding help, members-only benefits like workouts, rate and negotiation advice, practice scripts, and more. All without the kind of hype you're listening to right now. Go ahead, take our jobs from us. We dare you. Speak for yourself, buddy. I like what I do. And you will, too, when you're learning your craft at Global Voice Acting Academy. Find us at globalvoiceacademy.com. 
because you like to have fun. Hello, everyone. Our guest today is an actor with dozens of credits in animation, video games, TV, and film. You can find him on such popular animated shows as She-Ra, The Princesses of Power, Star Wars Resistance, and Avengers Assemble. Video games like The Outer Worlds, World of Warcraft, Battle of Azeroth, Drop Zone, and Fortnite, as well as various television roles like In the Dark and The Good Place. Ladies and gentlemen, I am so excited to introduce to you Keston John. How are you doing, Keston? How are you? How are you? You were reading all that and I was like, what? wait. Oh yeah, I guess I guess I, I did. did those things. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes you just you, it's so on to the next that you just you kind of forget a little bit. Well, yeah, you no. seem so humble. I thought I could boost your ego a little bit. <laughs> so, Keston, I was really looking forward to talking with you today. So, tell us how you got your start as a young man born in Massachusetts. Like, how did you become uh, an my- actor? You want to go back that far? <laughs> you don't have to. I mean, you can just give us some highlights. <laughs> yeah, highlight reel. Um, no, you know, uh, I started off in theater. So um, that was all through middle school and high school, really high school. And then went to drama school and did, did, did uh, the conservatory thing in Florida and then moved out here in, to L.A. in 2007 to pursue on camera. And um, I just knew I wanted to do voiceover as well. And so my first job that I booked on camera uh, was a show called Lincoln Heights. And, uh, and from those checks, I, I paid for my first voiceover class because I think, I don't know, some of the classes are just like $700. So you're like, all right, well, let me save up some money to take this. But <laughs> most of them are $700. Yeah, that's, <laughs> <laughs> but that's really interesting that you mentioned that because I've talked with other on camera talent and they kind of fall into it but you actually wanted to pursue this like yeah. you, it had always been on your radar yeah i pursued it i mean you you know the, the listeners can't see it but i'm in a studio bricks booth like i wanted to pursue <laughs> he's <this>. invested people <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm inve- this isn't new they don't offer this color anymore this is this is i've had my booth for a long time yeah no i i uh i um yeah i just wanted to do it i knew i wanted to do it i knew i wanted to do everything from animation to really uh i kind of was like oh with this agent that i was with now i was like i kind of don't want to do animation i'm thinking i'm really leading towards promo and commercial and she started sending me some animation stuff and i was like this is fun yeah let's let's keep doing this so yeah um yeah it's just kind of that's that's how it all started um it wasn't right it wasn't all right away i didn't get an agent right away. I started working more on camera and then probably about uh, 2012 or so, like five years into being out here, I finally was like, you know what, let me stop taking classes and give, not stop taking classes, but you know, take the next step. So that's when I did and made a demo and did all that stuff and yeah. That is too cool. So let's talk about, that segues nicely into the next question. So. Um, as we were talking about before, you've got such a wide variety of projects on your resume, like between on-camera stuff and animation and video games. And the genres themselves of these products are very different too. Some of it's like really comedic stuff, like um, like The Good Place, and some's a little bit more dramatic, like In the Dark. Um, and, and of course, the video game stuff straddles both sides. So yeah. do you approach these these various genres or mediums differently when you act or is it or do you kind of just draw from your core acting training yeah i i just i just draw from my core acting training and i feel like um the comedy i feel like when 
the best comedies have a bit of drama in them. The best dramas have a bit of comedy in them. It, it really, I let, I lean into the writing and, um, and I let that kind of be my guide. And of course, knowing the genre helps how you play it and, you know, uh, your comedic timing and things like that. But I don't really approach, uh, voiceover any differently than I do doing a play. I, I really don't. I mean, obviously the, the rehearsal schedule, all that's different. The, the parameters are different, but when it comes to the performance, I just think about um, if I'm gonna, if it's about distance, you know, where the mic is right now and the level that we're speaking at right now, that might be a, a 25 seat house, you know, versus, you know, if you're talking about theater um, versus like, if we're doing like a thousand seat or 2000 seat house, that's the long shot on film. Or if you're doing, uh, I also, I've done looping. That's, that's, you know what I mean? Looping tends to be the long shot on film or 22,000 seat house. You gotta be shut. You know, the mic is often like yards away. So it just depends on what you're doing. And I really just draw from my training and kind of use that to, um, be my guide. That is too cool. I've never heard those parallels drawn like that before. I really like that. And this is why I encourage people to do some kind of stage acting at some point. I mean, community theater is free, folks. And when when theaters open, when people can get again. I know, I know. I hate giving <laughs> advice that no one can action on. But um, you can still read books on acting, luckily. <laughs> oh, and, and also, like, there's so many. My theater company that I that I um that I've been with since 2014, they're doing so many Zoom readings and there's ways to work with other actors even in this time but i was gonna say um, improv troops have really moved to zoom and like you can find so many videos of just theater games uh of people just playing with each other online like that uh like for for zoom cocktail hours yeah. and stuff like that people are getting super creative these days that's for sure that's for sure so let's talk about some of these roles what are some of your favorites and why oh man that's that's tough um I would, I mean, off the top of my head, I, I was really challenged in Shira, and I, and what, what, what was really fun for me is they just kind of trusted me. I didn't, I didn't know where it was going when we first started, and um, I mean, Noel did, our the showrunner, but, but I didn't know, and I didn't audition uh, some of the characters I played near the end. Uh, I didn't audition, uh, you know, Horde Prime when I auditioned with Hordak. I just auditioned Hordak and I did two scenes from the first episode and that was it. And they were like, great, you got this thing. And I was like, okay, that was my second animated job ever. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it, that was probably my favorite because in some moments I'm playing like hundreds of versions of the same character in the same room. Um, so it was just, it was challenging and it was- I'm actually going to latch onto that. So for people who can't see, I'm totally wearing a Hordak shirt, but, <laughs> yes. uh, wanted yes. to prepare for the interview, but yeah. I mean, and, and, um, and that's how I found out about you before. I was just really impressed because you took, like, I, I grew up on the original He-Man and She-Ra and Hordak was a favorite then. And you took him in a very different direction. And like you said, he's kind of, he's, he plays very mysterious man in the shadows for like almost the first half. Right. And then you get this complete 180 where he's like, oh, by the way, he's like one of thousands of clones. Also, there's this supreme leader version of him right. 
how do you go about creating all of these different shades of the same person? I just knew I wanted them to sound just be, obviously it's going to be my voice, so it's going to sound similar all the time, but I wanted it to sound, I wanted them to all be coming from different perspectives. And I think I would use music and things to help me, you know, guide their particular, their particular path. And I think that helped guide the voices um, and, and have them be distinct because I wanted them to be, even though they were clones, a lot of the clones were choosing their own path. So I was like, I sound different all the time. We're voice actors. That's what we do. And I always think about how people sound. I was like, I wonder if people choose, kind of choose their register and choose their voice without even knowing it. Do you know what I mean? Like how you sound normally. I wonder, this is how I sound normally, but something happens to me when I get on a set or if it's a darker character, I just go into this deeper register. And I wonder if I was like, um, I don't know, a, 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 a more heavy dude just in life. <laughs> I wonder if my voice would be more in, in my lower register. I don't know. So I just played with that. Well, let's yeah. talk about like the voice itself that you chose for this. So in, in the VO sphere, yeah. there's this sort of anomaly called the mid-Atlantic dialect, or like the idea of this artificial accent that's like unplaceable. It's somewhere, we call it mid-Atlantic because it's somewhere between British and American. Technically, you would be Atlantean, I guess, if this was a real place. (laughs) But I thought when I heard Hordak's voice, I was like, that is a perfect example because it's clear, not quite American, not quite British. But was that intentional? Were you just like, what, what made you go that route to give it that kind of accent? You know what? I, I do not know. I just think sometimes I've, I heard Don LaFontaine say this one time, like in an interview or whatever. I just think sometimes the character speaks to you, speaks to me and says, this is how I want this character to sound. I don't know. I just, I play around. Um, I know when, when I did my first audition, there were specs there. They had, they definitely had specs of what they wanted and, and what they didn't want from the original. Um, you know, they wanted him to sound more real. And I, I think I just went into, uh, you know, that is, I tend to, when I do Shakespeare, I tend to do uh, my, my speaking voice, like what you're hearing right now. But I thought, what if this guy is, he's kind of putting on airs of being this like supreme leader, even though he's not. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of started playing with that voice. And that is what came out of that, um, you know, that, uh, that sound. And Almost I was like a defense really, mechanism, like making yeah. him bigger than he is. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't really going for, um, I wasn't really going for a mid Atlantic. I just, you know, it's funny. I would like, when I came to the first record, our showrunner was like, so like, kind of like it's, so he's kind of like shakes doing like a Shakespeare thing. And I was like, I guess that is what it is. I didn't, I didn't put it in any boxes. I just let other people hear it and say, okay, yeah, that sounds good. I definitely um, hear the Shakespearean influence, namely like the daddy issues. And yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. totally. So, yeah. Well, that's too cool. Well, yeah. similar in that vein, because I mean, he's not the only, uh, you've played some other popular characters, like say Eric Killmonger from, uh, for Black Panther Project as well. So how much do you let 
prior performances of, of recognized characters impact your performance? Do you usually try to kind of keep it in the ballpark or do you want to create something wholly original? It really depends on how much the, the creators of, of whatever the project is decide how much of that original they want. Do we all want to, do we want to honor, uh, honor and, and keep that going? So I definitely watched She-Ra. So I can't say that part of my Hordak performance wasn't inspired by, but I definitely was like, okay, there's things I don't want to do, like the snort. And there's, I wanted to, you <laughs> know, kind of yeah. bring it in. But I was like, if, if, if what they're going for is really two people talking to one another, which is what, you know, in, in my callback, they were like, you know, we really just really want it to be real. And so I was like, okay, how do I, he still has to be this villain. So how do I make it real? I, I asked my wife to read opposite me and I cut out her, 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 her audio and it, and it seemed to work. But I mean, um, yeah, I, I, I kind of forget your question, but, but I hope I kind of. <laughs> no, you totally answered it. Whether, I mean, and I'm sure that the, the, the director or the showrunner has uh, like a voice in that as well. Sure. How much your, your performances are influenced by, by other performers of those characters yeah um, yeah like for killmonger they wanted to go more like the comic book they wanted to go towards the um the fact that killmonger was um uh yeah like he he is wakandan and and his you know he's he went to go study in america which is different from the way the movie does it in the movie he has birthright but in the you know, in the comics, he has no claim to the throne whatsoever. Uh, you know, uh, so he has to use all these other people to get to the throne. So yeah, I, I, I just go with what the creator wants to do. And, and so in, in my version of Killmonger, he has a Wakandan accent. And, you know, in the movie, he has an American accent. It just depends on which, where they're coming from and what they want it to sound like. Yeah, he's also like 500 pounds of muscle and like 10 feet tall. But yeah, anyways. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm sure you added those great flares as well. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that, that helps. Is the, the, the visual of the character helps too, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this is great. I'm Not only am I nerding out about some of my favorite characters, but acting, the sweet, yes. sweet juice of what we do. Yes, that's um, it is. It's, it's acting at the, at the core. Everyone says... I want to do, especially now with COVID, everyone's like, I want to do voice acting. I'm like, so become an actor. That's, that's, I mean, that's it's acting. It is a hundred percent acting. You know, I'm in here like doing swings and they're like, oh, we're getting too much movement. I'm like, all right, cool. <laughs> you know, yeah. make that swing a little smaller, ah, you know, for my, mm. for my efforts and things. It's, it's acting at the core. So. I think people, like, they really just want it to be, they're like, oh, the voice is a tenth of your being. So maybe that voice acting is so much easier than, than acting itself. But, I mean, acting is intimidating. And voice acting is accessible. Yeah. It's easier to get into. Anyone can buy a USB mic or a cheap home studio setup and be yeah. off to the races. But that's no indication of success right. if you don't have those acting chops to back it up. Yeah, yeah, it definitely helps. And it helps you stay working from one job to the next and stay fresh and be able to say, okay, how can I change this up? You know, go and, oh, okay, maybe they have glasses, maybe they have braces, you know, like what in doing that visual imagination thing that we do mm -hmm. to, in order to create a character. So, yeah, 
so many things that you've mentioned, visualizing the scene, working with, with another actor if you have the opportunity. I say like, or if the script has dialogue in it, I'll read both parts. So and work off myself if I mm -hmm. have to. But yeah, guys, don't be afraid of the acting. That's the fun part. <laughs> yeah, that is the fun part. That's what we do. It's like the job is just, that's the play. The, the, this, the auditioning and the, the actual like, you know, I think that's the job. <laughs> it's the gathering the opportunities to play, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Very cool. Well, speaking of USB mics and audio gear and stuff like that, that's actually how we met was I saw you were asking questions on Facebook and, and uh, I'm an unabashed gear snob. So <laughs> I was trying to help you out. So why don't you tell our listeners what your studio space is like? What's your setup? And do you have any plans to upgrade anytime soon? Uh, no plans to upgrade. Um, I 2015, I, I thought I wanted to do a lot of promo. So you have to have a booth. So I bought a Studio Bricks One Plus. It's a three and a half by five and a half booth. It, it sounds really good acoustically when it out, like out of the box, but I definitely added some treatment, different bass traps and things like that to make it, to really fine tune it. Um, as far as microphones, uh, I got to look because um, <laughs> I'm not using, I'm, I'm using something that, that I wanted to use, not, not what everybody uses. Um, what is this called? I think you said you had the Rode NTG3, right? For your shotgun? So that, that is my shotgun mic. It's not currently up right now. The, the what's up is the um, Charter Oak E700. It's just a large diaphragm condenser that I, I went to the, here in LA, we'll do the SAG labs. Where are you? Where are you located? Uh, I'm in Washington, like an hour oh, south of Seattle. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. So yeah, like we'll do the SAG lab. Um, and when people can meet in person again, please do the SAG lab. If you live in Los Angeles, actually New York just opened one as well, but it's great because I asked them, Hey, are you doing any microphone shootouts and they're shootouts soon? And they're like, no, but you can schedule time. So I just booked like three slots, like an hour and a half with a engineer. And I said, let's put up all these mics. So we put up everything, U87s, we put up 416s, we put up all the mics that they had and not all the mics that they had. They had like a manly reference. I didn't want to go that route, but I, I, they put up this random mic and this sounded better than even the Rode NTG3 and the U87. It just sounds good for me. So that's it. It's that's just like, awesome. And that's, that's kind of like a mid-range mic. It's like what, four or $500? What the... Uh, the Charter Oak? This Charter Oak, originally, I think it's like 1200 or so, something like that. But I found it on Amazon. The day we used it, I found it on Amazon for 500 bucks. And I, I pressed purchase because <laughs> I was like, uh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to grab that. <laughs> Brilliant. I always feel like that the day that I just get those ideas to check eBay for something, something's like $500 off. Yeah. And then if I wait, then it just disappears. Yeah, no, the next day it was gone. There was not, there was, it was gone off of Amazon. So oh, man. lucked out there. Yeah, and I mean, I just, I record, off, I have my iMac. It's a 2012, it's old, but I just like, added a new hard drive, like it's, it's sw you know, running swimmingly. Um, and I'm, I'm getting, I got rid of Adobe Audition um, uh, and jumped on Twisted Wave this week, had my first few sessions on Twisted Wave, loving it. Yeah, and uh, what, oh, Apollo Twin. That's, yeah, that's my mix. Nice, very cool. So uh, why did you decide to move from Audition to Twisted Wave? Um, the, the price structure, I just, I'm just not a, a fan either. <laughs> I mean, 
I just did the math. I was like, if I use this program for the next 35 years of my life, let's, let's say on average, uh, I will have spent $8,400 on a, on a DAW. And I just did that math. And I was like, no, thank you. <laughs> like, no, I mean, a DAW that used to be available for $600 permanently, yeah. mind you. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> I, I, for $1,200. I love Adobe Audition. I'm not going to lie. I love that thing. But uh, I just didn't, the payment structure, they, when they figure it out, if they ever figure it out, maybe I'll go back. But I really love Twisted Wave. I just, I made it look like Adobe Audition. I got all my colors. Oh, cool. Play I got all color my palette. colors. Yeah. <laughs> I got, you know, I'm changing my quick keys and things like that. And that was all thanks to that, that to that group we're in. Cause I was like, what am I going to, you know, and, and somebody recommended. Well, if you're listening, Adobe, Microsoft did the standalone license again. You can too. Yeah, do it. Do it. Do it. I, I, I think there are a lot of voiceover actors who will be like, yes, we'll pay for that. Make it a thousand dollars. We'll pay for it because that software just made my life so easy. But I just, the $20 a month or it's gone up now. Um, I just didn't want to continue to do that for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. so. No, I see it. Like I've never been a fan of that model myself and I just never bought into it. Cause I mean, like you said, you can make do with less. <laughs> mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah. Too cool. Awesome. Well, it's been such a pleasure talking with you, Keston, about various things about audio gear, acting yeah. and nerdy cartoon characters. <laughs> so is there any advice that you would give to people who want to pursue acting today or maybe even any creative career? Wow. Um, I, I mean, it's scary, but go for it. I mean, that's the number one thing. Go for it. And I mean, I, I, I jump into things with such an obsessive personality. I have, a, I have an obsessive personality, which is why I could never do any kind of hard drugs or anything because I just, I am just, once I lock onto it and one of my agents said, yeah, normally actors do, you know, a demo, but they don't do the animation demo and the promo demo and the this, that, like, but like I was so locked into it that, so just go for it, go for it. And if you're going to go for it, go for it a thousand percent, learn everything you possibly can but don't let that hinder you and, you know, find ways to practice, find ways to work until you're working as a professional, find ways to meet with other actors on Zoom, you know, do readings, pick a play and just like work on scenes. Um, if it's art, you know, pick up a paintbrush and just like do a paint by numbers, whatever it is, just <laughs> learn your craft to like the thousand percent so that when you're, ready and you're there and you're working with people that I looked at in, you know, 2012 and like, wow, if I could ever work with this person. And I just started that show and I was just like blown away, but I'm like, I know my craft. I'm here. Like I'm, I'm doing it because I, I've kept doing it. So yeah, just jump in and, 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 and really, really dig in. Well, that's brilliant. Like I mentioned before, like you, you come across as a very down to earth and humble gentleman, but I just hear a confidence in you, in your skill. And, and that comes from practice folks. So get those 10,000 hours in. And like you said, there are free and inexpensive ways to do it. So I recently had to talk a few people off the ledge because they're like, this is hard. I'm like, yeah, it is. But it, how much do you want it? Right. Right. What are you willing to do to, to meet those goals? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's it right there. What are you willing to do? Because I don't know, you know, we we all want things, but it's not about what you want. It's like, how hard are you willing to work for it? So that's mm -hmm. 
that's it. And uh, yeah, that's good advice. That's good. Awesome. Well, hey, I was just summarizing you. But anyways, <laughs> thanks again so much, Keston. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Before you go, are mm-hmm. there any exciting projects that you want to let people know about? And how can people find out more about you? Uh, exciting projects. Um, there's a few exciting projects. I mean, going back to Canada to start filming In the Dark. Um, that starts that start that starts filming soon, season three. You can find me on all the socials at Keston John. And uh oh, well, I mean Avatar, hopefully that comes out at some point. At some point. I don't know. I don't really talk about that because I don't know I, you never know what you can say. Like is somebody yeah. saying, um but no, um, you know, hopefully at some point that comes out and you know. I hope so. Did you see your IMDb? They've got you slated for Avatar 2 through 5. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that was a um that was a, one of those moments I like it's just an out of body experience. I, you know, work walked in. Well, first of all, they, like I had my first audition and they were like, "Oh, you're going to meet Jim on Friday." I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> wasn't ready for that (laughs) uh and so that was my callback i guess and so i met him and he's like so he's you know doing that thing that he does which is just take you around the studio and show you all the cool stuff and you know they at the time he had his troop with him they they helped him kind of scout the the the, you know the invisible universe (laughs) that we that we call pandora and uh and yeah i mean uh he was just like you want to do two through five and I was like just very casually and I was like yeah (laughs) yeah so it looks that way I mean uh yeah (laughs) must have left a hell of an impression that's awesome yeah so (laughs) yeah (laughs) I know I've done two and some some stuff from two and three I don't I don't know about and maybe four but I don't know about five yet we're we're not, I'm not sure. <laughs> I think two has to come out before we... I think so, yeah. And then, and then they're kind of projecting these like up five to six years in the future, right? Yeah, yeah. But couldn't happen to a nicer guy. It's definitely well-deserved, Keston. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, we are here with the incredibly talented, incredibly versatile Keston John. And thanks again for being here. Anything else you want to say before we wrap up? No, that's, that, that was good. That was good. Hope awesome. everybody stay safe. Stay safe, stay sane. Thanks again. Bye, guys. Hey, Sean, what's a vocal booth? Uh, it's an acoustically treated space to record voiceover, sing, or practice music. Okay, so then what's a vocal booth to go? An acoustically treated space to eat a cheeseburger and fries? No, of course not. Vocal Booth to Go's patented acoustic blankets, noise mitigation products, and portable booths are an effective alternative to expensive soundproofing. They're often used by vocal and voiceover professionals, engineers, and studios as an affordable soundproofing and absorption solution. Oh, I have it now. Actually, I've always had it. I've used Vocal Booth to Go's products for years, and I can't recommend them enough. Vocal Booth to Go. We make your environment quieter for less. Walgreens, because it's flu season, and you live in a place with doorknobs and handrails and, you know, people. We tried booking a vacation rental on one of those other websites. They don't always tell you everything. The stars take it to the red carpet. We are back live from the red carpet. California leads the way for change in America, and so does Kamala Harris. Rated M for Mature. Claire
Redfield. And who exactly are you? So, yeah, what hashtag should I use to describe a grown man in a tuxedo wrestling a goat? And prior to 1933, many of them belonged to a variety of political parties that were now outlawed in Germany. This is the story of how Q got curly. Quinn was crazy about curls. Curly fries, curly straws, curly-haired dogs. Hey, Jay Michael here. Thanks for listening to the VO Meter podcast. It's one of my favorites. If you're looking for a great demo like the ones you just heard, check out jmcdemos.com for more information. Well, thanks to Sean for doing that interview, and thanks to Keston for appearing. I unfortunately was not available that day, but Sean stepped up like a pro and took care of things for the VO Meter. Thank you, Sean. Ah, shucks. Well, twisting my arm. I mean, it, it was great. I mean, Kest and I were kindred spirits, and we really, um, and we, we definitely have similar viewpoints on what it takes to be a successful voice talent. Something that really endeared me to him, and we talked about it during the interview, was just this was someone who was willing to do whatever was necessary to get the career that he wanted. Like, I mean, he moved from the East Coast to Los Angeles, like when he started getting voice acting roles. He's like, I want to pursue this more. And then he took classes. And then when he found out he needed a home studio, he got a home studio. He got a studio bricks. And one thing that was cool was that he didn't kind of, like while he did his own research and stuff like that, he didn't let himself be influenced by a lot of the popular opinions. Like his mic is not a Neumann or a Sennheiser. It was one, although he tried those out, he found the one he took the time to find the mic that was best for him, regardless of brand or popularity. So I love, I really love that he was willing to make those sacrifices and kind of carve his own path. And it was very validating for me because he was kind of just like preaching all of the things that, that I say and that we say at GVAA. I was like, yes, we're all right. <laughs> we're giving good advice. Great stuff. Well, that pretty much wraps up this episode of the VO Meter. Measuring your voice over progress. Coming up. Please don't forget to tune in to Wasp Woman that was featuring our previous two guests, Ken Foster and Tara Langella. It's coming on Halloween at vorep.com. That's V-O-R-E-P.com. And then shortly after, or the week right after that, we have the Mini Mavo online conference. That's the Mini Mid-Atlantic VO conference featuring such great guest speakers as Eric Bauza, Sarah Jane Sherman, Sunday Muse, and a whole lot of others. So if you haven't listened to them yet, we do have our pre-conference interview series available on our podcast feed right now. And the conference itself will be going on from November 6th through the 8th. So hope to see you then. Thanks for listening to this episode of the VO Meter. To follow along, visit us at www.vometer.com. We'd also love to hear your comments or suggestions for the show. Or if you have a questionable gear purchase, tell us all about it on our Facebook page or on Twitter at the VO Meter.